John chapter 14 says, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would have I told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and I will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father. It is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? And the words that I say to you, I do not speak of my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on the account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. All right, let's take a look at John chapter 14 this morning. Anyone ever say to you a sentence something like, um, now don't be mad, or I don't want you to take this in the wrong way. What is that almost a guarantee of? That you're going to be mad and that you're going to take it in the wrong way. So when Jesus says to the disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled, what do you think is going to happen? In the middle of that statement, he says, now listen, fellas, guys, disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. Well, it's already been a rough week. Uh, here, here we are uh, sometime on Thursday night probably, and Jesus is talking to the disciples, and it's been a rough week. I think looking back at it, when you go to the triumphant entry, where, where we're still trying to sort that out, but I'll be honest with you, I think that there was in the back of the disciples' mind that the triumphant entry, that, that great entry into Jerusalem, I think in the back of their mind, the disciples thought, now that was a little bit of a dud. I mean, there was all of that energy, all of that excitement, all of the things that they've been waiting for Jesus to do and Jesus to come with authority and power and he was going to establish his kingdom and here are the crowds and they are celebrating him. And then the whole rest of the week has just been everything else as normal. That triumphant entry didn't kick off any of the things that they thought were going to get kicked off. And then, as they kind of move through the marketplaces and they kind of hear the talk, they, they realize that people are really, really mad at Jesus. 
They realize that there are all of these conversations about they are trying to kill Jesus. Not just talking about this, but really they, they are working on plans on how they can kill Jesus. And they can feel the, the, the energy in the room bristling with, with this animosity and really with danger. And Jesus says, fellas, don't let your hearts be troubled. But more than that, I think it's not what Jesus is about to say to them that unnerves them. But it's the things that Jesus has been saying to them. He has been talking now at the table as he's washed their feet. And he dismisses one of the disciples. And he says, one of you disciples is going to betray me. Well, that's, that's unnerving. In fact, the scripture tells us that they look to one another and says, who is it? Which one of us? There, there's only 12 of us. Which one of us? We, we have been spending all of this time together. Which one of us is the one that is going to commit this betrayal? Peter steps up and says, Jesus, wherever you go, whatever you do, I will never turn my back on you. Now, that's the kind of words that they needed from their, their, their leader, from the disciples. They, they needed that kind of strength and that kind of confidence. Okay, good. Everything else is kind of shaky, but we can count on Peter. And Jesus says to Peter, uh, before this day is over, before the morning, the, 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 the rooster crows, you're going to deny me three times. Jesus says to the disciples, do not let your hearts be troubled. But I think the thing that bothers and has unnerved the disciples the most is the fact that Jesus has continually and has intensified now his statements that says, I am going away. And where I'm going, you cannot come with me. And the disciples are like, wait, wait, wait. That's, that's not the deal. The whole deal is that you came to us and said, follow me, and we left everything else behind. We bet our whole lives on you. We left jobs. We left families. We left reputations. We left all of the plans that we had for our future. We left all of those behind because what we said is that we're going to be with you the whole rest of our lives. And then Jesus says, I'm leaving and you can't come to where I'm going. What? The whole point of what we've done with our lives is that we have said we will leave everything behind so that we can be with you, and now you say that we can't come to you. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Now here's the good news this morning. The good news this morning is that with Jesus, what seems like bad news could actually be the best news ever. The good news is that with Jesus, what seems like bad news, what seems like bad news in that moment could actually turn out to be the best news ever. Because here is what Jesus is telling the disciples in these moments. Guys, don't let your hearts be troubled because my leaving is going to be the best thing that ever happened in your life. What? 
That's an unbelievable, that's an impossibility in their minds. But here's the good news. With Jesus, what seems like bad news now could actually be the best news ever. You see, Jesus says, my leaving is going to be the best thing that happened to you. Again, that seems like an impossibility for these disciples to understand, to comprehend, to take in, to imagine in any single way. But as we look at Jesus' words here, we discover that what they consider to be this terrible news is actually great news. You see, when we look at this passage of Scripture and we see Jesus' words, what we discover is that Jesus' earthly departure would strengthen their faith. Jesus' earthly departure will strengthen their faith. Now, what's one of the things that we've noticed in the Gospel of John? What we've noticed in the Gospel of John is that it is a story about belief. Isn't that what we've seen? We've said that almost on every single page, there's a story of someone who is coming to believe in Jesus. It is about belief on every single page. Belief, faith. But we also need to know, and we also need to understand that belief, faith, is a muscle. It is a muscle that needs to be exercised. It is a muscle that needs to be strengthened over time. It is not just something that exists in one place, but belief is something we begin with belief, and then it grows. Jesus talks about if you have faith as a mustard seed, you, you can move mountains. There is the tiniest beginning of faith that is the beginning of life. It is, un, it is packed with power. But we are not supposed to live our lives with just mustard seed faith. It is supposed to grow. And in fact, throughout the rest of the New Testament, there is a theme and a conversation that unfolds that challenges us to make sure that we don't have faith that hasn't grown. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 2, Paul says, listen, I would like to write to you more. I'd like to be able to, to write to you about deeper things, but right now your faith hasn't grown. He says, I want to give you the meat, but right now you're still on the bottle. Right now you, you are still only able to consume milk. In Hebrews chapter 5, the, the writer of, of Hebrews says, listen, by now, by now you, you, you guys ought to be teachers. Uh, by now you guys ought to be leaders. You ought to be influencers. You, you ought to be people who are building up others around you. And then he uses the same illustration. He says, you're still on the bottle. You should be you should be taking in meat. You should have grown. But you haven't. You see, there's an expectation that the faith that we have, the belief that we have, the belief that connects us to Jesus is fantastic, but there is an expectation that it is supposed to grow. Now, for the disciples, it did take faith for them to leave behind everything. It did take faith to hear all of the chatter about whether Jesus was, was from God or whether he was the opposite of from God and all of those things, and for them to say, yes, I'm gonna follow Jesus. That, that took faith. And they have grown. 
But there is some degree that for these three years of following Jesus, they have been a step or two behind Jesus. And they have been watching Jesus. But it's been Jesus who's been doing the work. It's been Jesus who has been doing the task. And they have stood by and said, man, isn't Jesus great? Look at the things that Jesus can do, which is a good place to be. But there is supposed to be an expectation that they are supposed to be growing as well. And the fact of the matter is, as long as Jesus is there in the flesh, they're going to just sit back and watch. As long as Jesus is there in the flesh, they're going to leave it in Jesus' hands and just kind of ride along. Jesus has been the point person with all the conflict with all the debates, with all of the sparring with the religious leaders. And the disciples kind of all stand back and say, man, Jesus is good at this, man, man, Jesus, wow, look, listen to how Jesus handles all of this. Ooh, good one, Jesus. In a matter of weeks, it's gonna be the disciples, in some cases, standing in the exact same square. And it will not be Jesus in the flesh who is having those arguments and who is defending the faith. But it's going to be the disciples that are going to be doing it. And they're going to have to grow and strengthen their faith. And that will only happen after Jesus' earthly departure when they have to carry that weight. They, they are still young and immature inside of their faith. They are still on a roller coaster. Everything that happens unfolds in front of them. They're like, oh, yes, oh, no, oh, uh, reacting in every moment. But in time, they're going to see some larger picture of the work of God. And they're not going to be measuring every single moment by moment and trying to determine whether there's realness in this, whether there's strength in this, whether God is really going to be able to hand it. But they're going to be able to see some things that they've never seen before, and they're going to be able to handle the rough and tumble of life without going back and forth between, oh, yes, oh, no, oh, my, oh, they're going to know. And they will have seen some things and known some things so that their life can handle this, so that their life can grow in these fashions. And in fact, they will make the transition themselves where they will be not just the learners, but they will be the teachers. And none of those things would happen as long as Jesus was there in his earthly presence. It is not until Jesus leaves that the disciples can step up and to take that role. You know, whether, uh, whether you are learning how to be a cook, a mechanic, or a surgeon, you can watch others do the work. You can watch some YouTube videos. I hope my surgeon's not learning this from YouTube, but you never know. Whether, whether you are a cook, whether you are a mechanic, whether you are a surgeon, you are studying, you are learning, you are watching others, but there is a degree that you don't really begin to learn and do until you start putting your hands on the pot, until you 
bust your knuckles pulling out spark plugs or whatever parts that you're changing until that scalpel is in your hand and you have to figure out the pressure and the sensitivity and learn those kinds of things. The disciples were going to be capped in their spiritual maturity, strength, and activity as long as Jesus was there. Now, I will tell you that in these moments when Jesus says, I am leaving and where I'm going, you cannot come, it is panic time inside of their hearts and minds. But in just a few weeks, I don't think that they got proud and I don't think that they got arrogant, but I think in just a few weeks, they may have looked at each other and said, man, can you believe we're doing this? Can you believe that we're standing in these same spots and we are the ones who are speaking in the name of Jesus? Can you believe that we are the ones who are performing these miracles? Can you believe we're the ones that people are listening to? Can you believe that there are thousands of people listening to us preach right now? Can you believe that? It only was going to happen after Jesus' earthly departure. It strengthened their faith. What they thought was, this is the end, was actually going to be the beginning of their faith. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Jesus' earthly departure is going to strengthen your faith. What seems like bad news right now could be the very best news. I think Jesus also wants them to know, and this is really right here in the heart of this passage, what Jesus wants them to know is that his earthly departure will also prepare the way for their future. Jesus' earthly departure will secure their future. Here's the irony. When Jesus says, I'm leaving, and where I'm going you cannot come to, and all the things that are twisting and spinning in, in their heads and in their ears and, and all of these things in this moment, their number one concern is, what is going to happen in the future? What happens next? And, and, and that's where our worry comes from, isn't it? Our worry comes from what is going to unfold next. I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't know whether next, I don't know whether tomorrow is safe. And so here's the irony that their number one concern was, what about tomorrow? And that was the very thing that Jesus was taking care of in that moment. That was the very thing that he was telling them and sharing them. This is what's going to happen. I'm going to leave. But in my leaving, I'm going to be the one who takes care of tomorrow. And the very thing that you are worried about the most is the thing that I'm addressing and taking care of right now. I think that's the thing that sometimes we have a, a spiritual panic attack. A panic attack. Oh, no, what about this? God hasn't thought of this. Well, what, but it may be the very thing that God is taking care of right now. We just don't recognize how he's taking care of it. But Jesus' earthly departure was going to secure their future. In fact, we, we see that here because it tells us that he was going to secure the destination for them. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. Because in my father's house, are many rooms. And if I go to my father's house, 
I will make a way for you and I will make a space for you to be there so that you can be with me. Now this is a really, really important moment because Jesus has been telling them for some time, I'm leaving. But he hasn't told them where. He simply said, I'm leaving, I'm departing. You will not see me anymore. In a while, for now you see me, but in a while you won't see me. And so it's been this whole mysterious statement, where is Jesus going? But now, he says, where I'm going is I'm going to my father's house. And I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. How awesome is that? I think that there's a little bit, if the, if the disciples would just be still just for a moment, they're like, oh, okay. That's where he's going. He's going to the Father's house, which I'm a little anxious about. But wait, he's going there to prepare a place for us so that where he is, we may also be with him as well. This is amazing. This is fantastic. There is a space that he is creating for us with the Father so that we can be with Jesus. We can be with the Father and he has created space for us. That's the destination for every person who is in Christ. And that is great news. Now he cannot do that until his earthly departure to go and prepare that place for us. But what seemed like bad news is actually really, really great news. That when Jesus leaves, he is going to prepare that destination for us. But there's also another part of this is that he's not only preparing that destination, and this is really, really important, he's going there to prepare that pathway as well. Now Thomas, Thomas is fantastic. Um, I don't understand always how John has structured the gospel here. But Thomas just shows up in this last section of John, and Thomas is asking all the questions that we want to ask. Uh, Thomas is all of a sudden a, a character that just shows up. Remember when it was time for, for Jesus to go to Bethany to see Lazarus, and, and Thomas says, well, I guess we're all just going to go and die together. And now Jesus says, and you know the way to where I'm going Thomas just raises his hand in the back of the room and says, uh, hold up. <laughs> we don't fully understand where you're going. So how on earth can we know the way? I mean, I, I like the idea of going, you going to the Father's house, and I like the idea that there's many rooms there. I like the idea that you're going to prepare a place for us and that we can be there, but you can't count on us to get there because we don't even know where that is, so how can we get there? And then Jesus speaks one of the great, great sentences that we need to know. Jesus says, I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is that pathway to that destination. He is the pathway to that security. He is that pathway to what is next for us for all of eternity. See, what Jesus is about to do next is the means by which our security is going to be secure, or our future is to be secure. He is going to ensure that pathway. And what he tells Thomas, what he tells the rest of the disciples, what he tells you and me, what he tells our neighbors, 
is that it's him. He's that way. He's that truth. He is the life. And he makes that statement of exclusivity. Sometimes that's a hard statement. Sometimes we're like, "Mm, boy, that seems really tight. But Jesus is the one who says it. And if we're going to take Jesus seriously, we have to hear what he says. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I want you to know that he has made that pathway possible, but I also want you to hear that he has also said it is the only pathway in which to travel. Those are his words. But we're also about to see in the pages that follow, those are also his his deeds and his actions. Because he's going to come in just a matter of hours to the Garden of Gethsemane, And he is going to pray to the Father and say, if there is another way, let's go with that way. If there is another pathway, if there's another way, another truth, another life, let's let's do that. Because the cost, the price that Jesus is about to pay is so in tense but the reply the understanding of what Jesus knows because he's just said it that he is the way the truth and the life and there is no other path then he picks up that cross and he gives his life for us so that not only is there a destination but there is a pathway for our lives as well Jesus' earthly departure will guarantee and secure their future. There's one more piece here that that I really like that I can't wait to tell you about this morning, and that is that Jesus' earthly departure will also empower their obedience. Jesus' earthly departure will empower their obedience. In this passage of Scripture, Jesus says to them, truly I say to you that whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. I mean, that's, that's a good word. But you all got to stop and think about the works that they've seen Jesus do. <laughs> Sometimes we just kind of read that and say, oh, that's a Bible verse. That sounds good. But, but think about all the things that they've been watching that Jesus do. And think about the fact that he just got done washing their, their, their feet, and that's something they didn't want anything to do. But think of the power in which Jesus has moved. Think of the loving graciousness in which he has dealt with everyone. Think about the words that he has spoken so strongly in such difficult places. And Jesus says, if you believe me, believe in me, you're going to do the things that I do. He says in, in verse uh, 15, he says, if you love me, and the disciples, oh, we, we, we love you. He says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Oh, man. They, they've been trying to keep commandments their whole life. The whole story of Jesus is the fact that we're unable to keep all of the commandments. 
So this is a hard statement as well. If you believe in me, you're going to do the same things that I'm doing. What? If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. You're going to be obedient in all ways. But Jesus says, when I leave, I will not leave you alone. He says, when I leave, I will ask the Father to give you a helper. And really over the next couple of chapters, Jesus is going to be talking about this helper. We call this helper today the Holy Spirit. There's a couple of sentences in here that I want you to hear. At the end of verse 17, he says, even the spirit of truth, this is the helper that will be with you forever. In verse 17, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, those who do not know Christ, they do not receive this helper, the spirit, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him because he dwells with you. Just like Jesus has dwelled with you. But then he also says, and he will be in you. You see, there is something dramatic that is about to happen. As great as it is for Jesus to be standing next to them, when he departs, the Spirit of God will not be standing next to them. Hear this, hear this. When he departs, the Spirit of God will be in them. In fact, listen to how strong this is in verse 20. It says, in that day, you will know, listen to this, listen to this. I know you were, but I'm really excited about it. In that day, you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. You see, Jesus has been talking for some time now. He and the Father are the same, and there's a connectedness between the Father and the Son, and the disciples are sitting back and saying, boy, that is amazing that there's this connection between the Father and the Son, and now he says that I will be in you, and you will be in me, because after his earthly departure, the Helper is going to come. The Spirit of God is not going to stand next to you, but he is going to live inside of you, so that when he says, do the things that I do, he will do it through the power of the Spirit that dwells in you. When he says, keep my commandments, it will be empowered by the Spirit of God who dwells inside of you. Let not your hearts be troubled because what Jesus has in store next is even better than what you have experienced now. And what may seem like bad news in this moment is turning out for the disciples to be the best news ever that they are gonna grow in their faith. And they're gonna be empowered in their obedience. And their future is going to be completely secured for them. Now what I want you to know this morning is that all of these things that were true for the disciples is true for you. Your future is secure. The helper is yours. The pathway is yours. All of these things are true for you just as it was for the disciples. One of the things that Jesus talks about in this passage, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. And then what his challenge is, is he says, stretch the edges of your faith. He says, believe in God Believe also 
in me. Now, that can mean several different things depending on what you need to hear. It, it can mean... It can mean that there is a belief in God in a generality. Again, most people, if you ask them, if you believe in God, the vast majority of people say, I believe in God. But when it moves us to say, believe not just in God, but believe in Jesus, then now we are being called upon to believe not just in some vague generality of a higher power, but of a divinely revealed Jesus who says things like, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. It also is a statement of stretching the edges of faith because these men would have grown up their entire lives believing in God. That would have been just naturally imbued into the oxygen of their lives to believe in God. But now something new has been introduced and presented to them the person of Jesus. And he says, believe in me. Again, I, I never know the story of every single person who's in the room on any Sunday. And it may be that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And what I want you to do is I want you to continue to grow and move from that milk to that meat to continue to trust God to be able to do more things than you've ever done before in faith. But if you have never believed, your, your belief has just been a, a general belief. Sure, I believe in God. But it's not been a belief that says, I believe in Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life, and that he is my pathway to the Father. If you've never done that before, man, would you do that today? To lean in with your life and to place the weight of your life and your future, your soul, on him, and to place your life under his authority and under his grace. You can do that right now. Belief is something that happens in your heart and in your spirit. It's not something that happens in a building. It's not something that happens with a person. It is something that you lean toward the Heavenly Father. And you say, I believe. I believe in the way, the truth, and the life that is Jesus. If you've never done that, then man, today is the day that you can do that. And at the same time, I want to assure you that if you have done that, this passage of Scripture says that the Spirit will come and live inside of you forever. We're still under forever. We're still under the category that's called forever. Maybe you just need to be reassured that even though your life has had some twists and turns and you've dropped the ball a couple times, I want you to know that if that Spirit of God came to live inside of you, He said forever, and forever means forever. And so you may need to turn your heart and your direction to Him, but He has never stopped to dwell inside of you because that's what Jesus does. Let me pray for us.